Charlie, come on, we're live. Here we go, Charlie, we're live. I got it going. You keep calling me Charlie, but you really shouldn't. It's been me, Sergio, this whole time. The 29th of April, 2018. This is a Superior Word Church, and you're watching a non-regular prophecy update of the week. Uh, feel like we owe you an explanation, so Bob is gonna do that. Come on up, Bob. Well, good morning, all, and uh, welcome to La Difference. <laughs> We'll uh, be doing things a little different this morning, and by way of explanation, Charlie has written us a letter. Let me, uh, let me read that. We will have a guest preacher today. He may go a little long in the prophecy update. So uh, Bob moi, will uh, defer his comments until next week. It's really exciting. It's all about miracles, but I'll wait. I'll wait. You will stay and be delighted to hear both the Prophecy Update and the sermon. Me, Charlie, I'm in the air right now. Actually, he's on the ground in Texas. He's already on the air. He said he's but he has Wi-Fi, so he's watching this. Oh, he's watching us live. All right. Oh, that's, really nice. that's right. That's right. Well, it used to be from Israel. Now it's from somewhere over west. I don't know. Have a wonderful service, be uplifted and encouraged, and I know you will have, well, you will all well loved and highly favored. Surely you will want to talk to Sergio, but don't worry, he'll be here for a few weeks. And today he got an extremely early start to take me to Tampa, and he will have two videos to update and upload <laughs> this week. Be merciful to him and let him leave as quickly as possible. So that was for the people who are physically here. It's a long day of work. He's tired and jet-lagged, can't help that, and needed to get these things done. I will miss you all. See you soon, Charlie. So I thought that was a way, by way of explanation of the change today. And we do have a psalm for you, Psalm 36. And uh, what I'm going to ask you to do is, as I read this psalm, try to determine which creature in the swamp it's referring to. <laughs> you probably have your favorite, but an oracle that came to me about the transgressions of the wicked, because there is no fear of God before him, uh, before his eyes. He flatters himself too much to discover his transgression and hate it. The words from his mouth are vain and deceptive. He has abandoned behaving wisely and doing good. Yeah, I got a couple in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he devises iniquity on his bed and is determined to follow a path that is not good, and he does not resist evil. 
Your gracious love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your truth extends to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your justice is like the great depths of the sea. You deliver both people and animals, Lord. How precious is your gracious love. The children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They are refreshed from the abundance of your house. You cause them to drink from the rivers of pleasure. For you, it is a fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Send forth your gracious love to those who know you and, to, and your righteousness to those who are upright. You know what? He is talking about Christians here. This is written hundreds of years before Christ, and yet it is clear he's talking about Christians and the Christians who know the Lord. Do not let the foot of the proud crush me, and do not let the hand of the wicked dissuade me. For those who do evil have fallen, they have been thrown down, and they cannot get up. So we are looking forward to that time coming shortly to a rapture and tribulation near you. <laughs> to quote a, a famous preacher. And now I'm going to turn this back over to Sergio who is going to do his version of a prophecy update. Let's see how that works out. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. All right, so. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, wow. Um, and no we're, pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. Uh, okay, where do I start? Um, you know, uh, as Bob has already filled you in, uh, uh, Charlie calls me about three or I don't know how many months ago, three or four months ago, and he says, Sergio, I'm going to baptize somebody um, in Washington State, and I need, you know, somebody to replace me. And jokingly says, you want to come and do it? <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, at the time I thought, well, actually, the camera needs replacement. Uh, it's been on for two years, and the gears are wearing out. Sometimes we see it a little bit, and there's a lot of stuff needs to be done here, and it's time. I mean, it's a miracle. It survived so far, and it's time to do the maintenance. So I said, that'll be a good opportunity to also do the maintenance uh, and come. But the problem was is that I didn't have a visa to come to America. So, and in my situation, to get a visa as an Israeli is quite impossible um, and just for two reasons we don't have anything we don't have any real estate in Israel and we don't have a job that you know is a, an Israeli company that would bring us back because the American government they need to see that I'm not going to stay here illegally and work so you would usually come to the embassy with like 40 pages of proof that says you have financial uh, you know uh, support to go to America, come back, you don't need the money, so you're not coming here to work illegally, that you got real estate in Israel, you got maybe children, a school, or a job that needs you back. Rod and I didn't have, don't have any of that. Um, I work from a computer, so self-employed, which means I can do it from here. So I came to the embassy with one page, one letter, and it was from Charlie. And all it had is, when surgeon wrote it to come here and uh, you know help at the church. So I come to the embassy, and I'm thinking, and everybody tells me there is a 100% chance of being denied with a visa. Um, and I knew that, but you know, we prayed and we said, if this is the Lord's will, then it's a 100% chance of success. There's, if it's not gonna work, 
never meant to happen. But if it's going to work, it's a 100% chance it's going to work if it's God's will. Nothing's going to stand in front of it. And we need the miracle. I just come to the ambassador. I hand him the paper. He doesn't even read it. He says, how do you know the church? I say, we've been there from the beginning. Because he thinks about it, looks something on the computer, and he says, you're, you'll get your visa next week in the mail. Oh, what? That's it? <laughs> That's it. Yeah, praise the Lord. On the way here, it's, yeah, and on the way here, it was also nothing short of a miracle. We got through the border. It was so fast, the fastest, easiest entry we've ever had. Um, so praise the Lord. Um, and since I'm keep saying road in me, so come up, just say hi to everybody who is online. <laughs> oh, there, sit right here. There you go. Okay. Yes, I, I didn't tell you to prepare anything to say, but is no. there anything you want to say? Um, we're just happy to be here. Blessed to be here. <laughs> yes. uh, and say hi to Charlie. He's watching from the plane right hi, now. Hi, Charlie. <laughs> I have one of those beard hairs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah, speaking of uh, that, Charlie is probably like 38,000 feet up in the air right now, flying to Washington State. As Bob mentioned, um, he's going to be baptizing John Bellows, uh, one of the church members from the online uh, audience, and he'll be gone for the entire week, seven days. Uh, he comes back 6 p.m. next Sunday, and um, uh, before I forget, he asks not to send any emails, <laughs> of course, because <laughs> he's not here. He's not going to have internet there. So if you send, it's just going to pile up, and he might not be able to reply to it. So yeah, so hold off 10 days. You're going to come back. You'll need another few days to recover. Um, so um, yeah, so that means I'll be doing the prophecy update today. And uh, afterwards, after the break, I'll also do a sermon, which is a testimony. Uh, it's based on my testimony. And uh, you know, Charlie is, is in there as well. So I'm excited about that. And as you already can imagine, like Bob said, it's going to be quite different than usual. Um, yeah, I, you know, Charlie does so much. He, and if you, you already know all this, but he goes every day through 200 articles of news. Every day, 200 of them. He reads them through. He filters it. He writes down what he wants. He comes up by the end of the week with thousands of them. He filters it again. And then he says, uh, you know, if he comes here and he shares, shares it with you. I don't know how he pulls it up, pulls it together, how he does it all that. But um, yeah, I what I'm going to do is quite different. Uh, so like Jim said, Israel is one of the topics I'll be speaking about. And I brought some videos with us from Israel, um, some exciting stuff. Um, speak about the perception of Christianity in Israel over the past 20 years, how that changed and how that's going to point to the end times and how it is already showing itself. I'll speak about Russia. We have friends in Russia. I have friends with whom I communicate through secret, secure, and encrypted channels because they can they don't have the freedom to speak. So I'll be sharing with that without names, of course, and also speak about Gog in Russia. I found something interesting in Russian Bibles, and I want to share that with you. Um, and then the last subject will be AI and technology. That's something I've been waiting to share for so long. Uh, because you probably hear it all the time on the news, AI, artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. I've got a very big secret to reveal behind AI. Um, and also, as a bonus, I brought an AI with me today, and I'm going to show it to you. So that's interesting. And, and we're going to look at, is AI going to be the Antichrist? Is it going to be used by the Antichrist? How is it going to look like? So some thoughts. It's interesting. Um, all right, so before we get started, updates, Charlie, let me ask you to speak about this couple of things. So 
Isaac Namugera. Charlie said that somebody from this church gave a very generous donation, anonymous, uh, to Isaac, and Charlie already sent him through Western Union. So he just wanted to say, uh, say there's the receipt if you want to come up and take a look at that. Um, then, uh, yeah, 10 days, no emailing. Charlie already said that. And also, shall I to introduce guests? We have guests. So guests from Tyler, Texas. Yes, welcome. Let me show Hold on. We'll show you to the people I've got here. Camera, there you go. And wave to the people. So wonderful. All right, yeah. Excellent. So Charlie usually starts with highlights of you know people and uh, he reads about their stories about their testimonies and I have uh, two people to highlight um, that are going to be related to this prophecy update um, so the first person is Barbara she is 88 years old she lives in Lithuania um, she is a Holocaust survivor and she's my grandmother and she when I was little she shared a fascinating story with me lots of stories I'm gonna share just one with you uh, that is related to this prophecy out it's interesting and you know if when I was a teenager she would share the stories with us and the same ones now if you call her she would share them with you and there's a reason why she's so openly sharing them with everyone um, I called her before I wrote this down. We called her to make sure that I didn't lose any details or I uh, got them accurately. When um, she was born in Belarus, uh, Belarus, a small small village, they had seven Jewish families living there, and she was born to a medium-sized family. She had um, uh, two two brothers, two sisters, and mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, they all lived in the same house, Jewish family. When she was 10 years old, the Nazis came to the village and they were taking everybody, all the Jews, the Jewish families out of the village into the concentration camp. Her sister at the time, her older sister, one of her, was staying at her friend's house. When they learned about this, they already hid her. So she got saved this way, her sister. Her older brother was already um, drafted into the military to fight the Nazis, so he wasn't there. But she and the rest of her family were in the house when they came. They took them out and they started walking them on the streets, taking them away to the concentration camp. As they're walking them, her mother, realizing what's happening, where they're going, she picks her up and she tosses her over the neighbor's fence. The Nazi soldier sees, he saw what happened. He notices what just happened. He looks at them. Grandma says, she looked him in the eye. She looked at him. She saw that he saw them. He turns around and says, keep going, keep walking, as if nothing happened. So she went hiding in the barn of the neighbor's yard. She hid there throughout the night. She says it was freezing cold. She barely survived through the night. And in the morning, the neighbors found her. They took her in and they hid her throughout the war and then also sent her to some other families that were hiding her. Her family, the, this, those who were taken, 
um, were not given the chance and they were taken to concentration camp, gassed, some were executed, and others were burned. I cannot imagine going through something like this and later they sent her after the war they sent her to um, to an orphanage and also her sister they were hiding with other families they sent her to another orphanage so they were separated when uh, their brother um, got out of the military got out of war lost his leg he thought to see who survived and he went looking through orphanages to see if any of his sisters survived and he found two orphanages that had both of his sisters. He found them, he reunited the three siblings, and they were reunited once again. Now, I, yeah, it's very difficult to imagine somebody going through this. I don't think I'll ever be able to understand what it's like to go through something like this. Yeah, um, well, what's interesting is that when my grandma started going to work, at the age of 35, a woman at work shared the gospel with her. She told her about Jesus. And she didn't think much of it at the time. So, yeah, she didn't think much of it at the time. And she said, okay, you know, all right. She kept her alive. She kept living. And then 20 years later, in her 50s, she had finally come to realize that Jesus is the Savior and the Messiah of Jewish people and the entire world. She accepted him. And her life changed upside down. Completely upside down. Is incredible. She, she became the happiest person that I know. Uh, and that's how I always remember her. If she never told me what she went through, I would have never known. And something to say to that, my mom used to work with uh, Holocaust survivors in Nazareth Elite, where we, Rhoda and I come from right now. Um, and the people that survived this, they, like I said, I cannot imagine what they went through but they carry a scar so heavy, a burden so heavy on their shoulders. And it says, it speaks volumes when you speak to them, when you talk to them, and I can understand why. But what's interesting, my grandma, she's the happiest person alive, and her, my aunt, her second daughter, lives in Germany nowadays. She goes to Germany, she loves the German people. Um, in fact, two years ago, when her husband passed away, that's her on the left side. When her husband passed away, I called her and wrote and we say, Grandma, you know, how are you doing? You're all alone there now in the apartment in Lithuania. How are you? And she says, I'm all alone. What are you talking about? Jesus fills every corner of this apartment. She is the happiest person. You know, last week when Israel celebrated the you know 70th birthday, my grandma on the same day happened to celebrate her 88th birthday. And she kept saying, the greatest joy I have in life is that my children and my grandchildren know the Lord Jesus. Yeah. So, as I you know, keep the story in mind, as I highlight the next person. And the next person lived the same time in history, yet on the opposite side of the war and the opposite side of the world. This person's name is George Lati. He is Rhoda's grandfather. George wrote his testimony in Arabic. It was published in a local magazine in 1987. Um, wrote a help translated to English. Thank you. And I'm going to read it to you. 
When the war started in 1948, I lived in Akko. In the midst of the hardships, I was arrested by the Jews, who informed me that I will be hung the next day. In the morning, I was visited by a woman who, helped, who worked with the Red Cross organization. She helped me escape by disguising me in a Red Cross uniform. Later, the family found out that that woman was a Christian. She was a believer. After escaping prison, I walked for three days and three nights without eating or drinking until I arrived at an Arab village. I arrived there at night and I was thirsty and hungry. When I got to a place to drink water, an Arab soldier grabbed me by the neck and said, a spy should die without having a drop of water to drink. So he took me to his commander who accused me to be a spy for the Jews. So I said to him, at first, the Jews accused me to be an Arab spy. And now you accuse me to be a spy for the Jews. The truth is, I'm not a spy, but a regular citizen. But he was not convinced and commanded that I would be executed by gunshot the next morning along with eight other people. Wow. The commander put me in the room by myself. Then, from 7 p.m. until 3 a.m., I was praying hard, pleading with God to save me from death. Although I attended church as a child, I didn't know about salvation in Jesus. And the reason to that is that no one ever explained it to me. While I was praying, the Lord revealed every sin I have ever committed. So I started crying out to God not to send me to hell. After praying, I see a vision of the lake of fire. So again, I cried out to God not to send me to hell and eternal damnation. Then I felt God's presence and his hand touching my shoulder. And I heard a voice telling me, George, tomorrow you will be in Nazareth. I thought I was dreaming. The next morning, the soldier who was supposed to execute me told me that he had a terrible nightmare about me. And for that reason, he was letting me go. And miraculously, I became a free man, even though other eight were executed. Then I moved to Nazareth and started teaching Hebrew at the Baptist school. Hebrew, out of all languages, imagine. One night, Dr. Elmo Scoctor, a missionary from the USA, preached at the Baptist church, which I recently started attending. Dr. Scoctor asked that night from the pulpit, how will you answer Jesus? Are you going to accept him or reject him? Praise the Lord, that night I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And later in life, George brought many, many people to Christ. In fact, when Rod and I go through Nazareth and we go through different you know, restaurants, you go to any shawarma place or sandwich place and you ask, do you know George Lati? They'll say yes. They'll say he either brought me to Christ, he taught me Hebrew in school, or he helped me one way or the other. There's, there's this incredible story Rhoda shares. i got to share it about. So <laughs> Antoinette, his wife, Rhoda's grandma, comes home one day she gets to the she gets in, she gets inside. This is the same place where Rod and I are staying right now, in their apartment. They already passed away. We're staying there in their house. She goes into the house, she looks, and the living room is gone. <laughs> George, where's the living room? We've been robbed. George calms her down. It's okay, it's okay, come down. Do you remember you asked me for a new living room set? Well, it's time. Today's the day we're gonna go and get you a new living room set. So that was it. When George passed away, 
many families came to the funeral. A lot of people was full, as I understand. And people started sharing stories. And come up one family and says, you know, a while back, we were so broke. We were living in Nazareth. We were living out of carton boxes. We had nothing. One day, George shows up and gives us an entire living room. set sofas, furniture, everything. <laughs> the family had no clue. They had no idea what's happening. And then many other families came up and shared the same type of stories. You know, it's like, um, uh, what is the verse Jesus says? Don't let your right hand know what the left one is doing or the other way around. Uh, when you do something good, uh, George lived by the word of God. And as I understand, he, he read it daily. He cherished it. That was his um, motivation for life. So, you know, two families, two stories, at the first glance, completely unrelated. And yet many years later, they somehow intervene. Um, and it's not exactly the thing is just ruled in me. It's actually more than that. And I want to finish these highlights with this. You see, when Rod and I started dating, our families did not uh, perceive it very well. Let's put it that way. <laughs> And I can actually understand why. I'm not blaming them at all because we're completely different cultures. All right, so Russian Jews, Middle East Arabs, there's not much in common, <laughs> okay? Not much in common at all. Uh, they barely share a language together. Rod and I speak English pretty well, between, that's what the language we speak. Rarely Hebrew if uh, in presence of uh, Jewish friends, but our parents, if they were to speak, they would speak Hebrew and both of them don't speak it that well. Rhoda's parents, Arabic mostly, my parents, Russian mostly, Russian Jews. So when we got married in 2010, we immediately came to America. It was our honeymoon, but we stayed for seven years. It was too good to leave. <laughs> so we thought our parents are never going to talk. They're never going to be friends. And I understand why. Of course, there's nothing in common. You've got to have something in common. And um, half a year after we moved here, my mom calls me and I say, how are you? She says, great. And, you know, she, goes, she says, you know, we just came back from Rhoda's parents. I said, really? What, what did you do there? We celebrated Hanukkah and Christmas. <laughs> okay. Since when? She goes, what do you mean since when? You don't know? No. We've been doing this every month. We see each other. We go to coffee. We talk. They became best friends. And much more than that. In fact, when my dad had a heart attack, Rhoda's family, they were the first to arrive to the hospital and stay there the entire time. Their families together with a commonality, which is Christ Jesus. You know, and if you think all oh, these two families related because you got married, I would have to say that's an overstatement. And that we don't see it this way at all because we know couples who got married, interracial couples, and they were disowned by their parents. It's because in the middle of culture, it's it's Family is everything. And when you betray your family by go doing something you don't want to do, it's a big thing. So it wasn't our marriage. I would say something different. What brought this Jewish and Arab family together is Jesus Christ. Because think of it, there's no greater force that I can that tells me that I didn't deserve and I deserve nothing. And yet God given me eternity. And with that in mind, and think about it, this earth, the house, skin color, heritage, anything you can think of, it's nothing, nothing's going to be taken up to heaven. So there's only one thing that matters, and it's to accept the Lord Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Yeah, so. You two better not mess up, though.
Uh, <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Noted. All right, so um, that's it for the highlights. Now, Israel. First section in history. Hello. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, surprise, surprise. Um, yeah, so by the way, I, know I keep thinking... There are now people watching online. Some people join us late. So if you don't know what's going on, you can rewind and Bob explains what's happening. Charlie's on the plane right now. He's going to Washington State. Uh, let's see if I can remember. 10 days, no emailing. And uh, that's about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And <laughs> so um, Israel. 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 and I, as you know, we live in Nazareth. It's up north in Israel. City of Nazareth. Uh, this is where Rhoda was born. So she is a true Nazarene. Or, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, one day I asked her father in law and I say, So, hell, how come nothing good? I mean, I understand Bible says nothing good comes, it's no, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. But how come? I mean, Rhoda and you, how come nothing good comes out of Nazareth? He looks me in the eyes and he says, It's because nothing good leaves Nazareth. Uh, so nothing good leaves Nazareth. That's right. It stays in Nazareth. Uh, that's a good way to look at it. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth because everything stays there. Yeah. So it's true. It's true. Uh, except Jesus. He is not in Nazareth. He's good. Yeah. So, you know, and a lot of things have changed. When uh, my parents and I did the Aliyah there um, in 92, we, um, when the families were coming in, the perception of Christianity was completely different than today. And something I wanted to point out. When we were coming in, they were asked the families, Jewish families at the border, they were saying, are you Christian or are you a Jew? Those who said we're Christian were sent back on the next flight. Yeah, they were denied entry. And the reason for that is because of kind of a identity crisis. It was a struggle when the state of Israel formed. Who is a Jew? Uh, can a Jew be a Christian? Is it even possible, or is a Christian someone else? And it all comes out of the perception of Christianity. When I was little, growing up in school, we were, not, we were scared to say the name of Jesus. We were not allowed to say Yeshua or Yeshua. You would hear that. That's like an abbreviation as a curse. Um, it's a three-letter word, an abbreviation, and they say that. They use that still today. Not as much as before, but, uh, you know, but even that. People were scared to saying that. People would lose their jobs. There was persecution. Because for the Israeli Jews who came back to the country, they come escaping persecution. And for them, Christianity equals persecution. Uh, you know, the Crusaders, that's what they think about. You tell them I'm a Christian, they think of Crusaders. You tell them I'm a Christian, they think of Hitler, because Hitler used God. They spoke about God. There was a priest. And so for them, they're like, oh, you're, you know, those people. So... With the new generation, you know, the third generation of Israelis, there came a new perception also of Christianity. Um, and that is due to a big part of it is social media. If before somebody to share Jesus with them, you do it one-on-one, -on -one, but there's so many you can reach, or you do it on national television, nobody's going to let you do that. But today you can make a YouTube video, and if it catches on, the entire Israel can see it. And that's exactly what happens and what happened. 
Have you heard of Aiton and Moti? Um, Charlie maybe mentioned them once or twice. Yes, these are two guys. They uh, come out of Israeli Bible College. That's another new thing, by the way. Um, incredible and accredited theological school in Israel. Uh, you won't see actually a billboard because, you know, that won't be very well perceived. But if you want to go there, you'll find your way to the building. And one of these guys, Ethan Amoti, was an Orthodox Jew, came to believe in Jesus. The other one an Israeli. They both speak their native Hebrew language. And what they've been doing is making videos, exposing the traditions of their rabbis, and sharing the message of Christ in the New Testament from Jewish people to the Jewish people. And I'll, I brought one video with me. It's, I, made, I just cut out a very small segment from it, and I want to show it to you. And take a look what it looks like. It's just a couple minutes. מאות שנים לאחר זמנו של ישוע, נכתבה בתלמוד אגדה, המלמדת שישוע היה משיח שקר, מחשף שהסית והדיח את עם ישראל לעבודת אלילים אחרים. כמעט אף יהודי, כבר קרוב לאלפיים שנה, לא מעז לאתגר את האגדה הזאת, אלא מקבל אותה בעיוורון. למען האמת, שטיפת המוח הזאת עובדת כל כך טוב, עד כדי כך שבכל יהודי באשר הוא, מוטמעת הידיעה כי מותר להאמין בהכל, רק לא בישוע. אבל מה אם יש צד בסיפור שלא סיפרו לכם? מה אם הסיבה האמיתית לכך שהרבנים בזמנו של ישוע דחו אותו, בכלל מוסתרת מכם בכוח? מה אם ישוע הוא הסוד הכמוס ביותר ביהדות, שהוסתר בכוונה מכולנו? כולנו עדים למועדון האקסקלוסיבי שההלכה הרבנית יצרה לעצמה. אבל כלל לא מדובר במשהו חדש. כבר לפני אלפיים שנה זה היה כך. ישוע הוא היחיד שהעז לצאת נגד אותה כפייה דתית, בכך ששבר את החומות שיצרה המסורת הרבנית. ישוע פתח את הדלת אל אלוהים לכולם, לפשוטי העם ואפילו לגויים. וכך כיום, בזכותו של ישוע, מיליוני גויים מכל רחבי העולם, מתרבויות ומדינות שונות, מאמינים באלוהי ישראל ומוצאים אחרית, תקווה, עידוד, שמחה וחיי עולם. באותו יהודי שחי פה בישראל לפני כאלפיים שנה. They made those videos and they have, some of their videos have six million views. They know English subtitles means Israelis watched it, those who speak Hebrew. Pretty much almost every Israeli Jew saw their message and now knows about Jesus. Maybe they didn't listen as well, maybe they skipped over it, but they already are hearing the message. This is something that didn't happen in 2,000 years, since times of Jesus. That's the, the only time, last time that the entire Israel heard of Messiah, and now again. And as you can imagine, these guys are in big trouble. They're not afraid of it. In fact, I don't know if you heard uh, a rabbi from New York, another rabbi in Israel, put a bounty on their heads. I don't know how that's even legal, but I guess if you don't press charges, it is. Uh, and they didn't press charges. They came out with a video. He put $50,000 bounty in their head, if I'm not mistaken. You can go to their channel. You can see they actually, there's a video of the rabbi saying that. And the, uh, they came up on the video and said, dear rabbi, we understand where you're coming from. We were like that too. And we just want to invite you to an open debate. Let's do it over a hangout, a hangout on our Skype. Let's talk about this. 
obviously he didn't reply. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's, um, and people are interested to hear. In fact, what they're doing bears such a great change and such a great effect on Israel society that Rada and I were filming the Nazareth episode. We had two there. One of them uh, showed the Annunciation Church. If you remember the, you know, the tallest church in the Middle East, we maybe spent two minutes there showing the video, but the plan was to show much more than that. Uh, we So after a long day of shooting, I told Rodo, okay, you can go sit on the bench outside there, um, wait for me, and I'm going to go inside the church. It's two stories church, and I'm going to go to the second uh, story, and I'm going to film a lot of other things. I have like a whole list of film. There was another 15 minutes of footages. There's the uh, house of Joseph and Mary where Jesus grew up. Very interesting. There's a lot of history this place. And as... We, after we split, I start going into the church. I'm on the second level, and I hear some group of people on the first level, kind of far from me, towards where Rhoda is going. And I look right, and I see, and I think it's a group of Israelis, Hebrew-speaking people. And I turn around, and I keep going to church. I said, okay, well, I came here for a purpose, and the purpose to show you guys, you know, something from Israel, and I'm going to just stick to it. And I go into the church, and I enter... And I had this whole list, and I forget everything. I don't remember what I wanted to film. I don't remember why I'm here anymore. All I have on my mind, and it's racing, is those people, that group. And my heart started beating, and I don't know what's happening. And I'm saying, okay, Lord, I, what am I doing? I start walking down the spiral stairs in the church, go down. I exit the building from the first floor. I see the group. I go straight to them in the direct line. It's a big group. I don't know how to approach it. It just goes, the first two people, there's this older lady she has the tour guide tag and then there's a younger man 20 year old like about 20s i know in his 20s and they turn to me and i say do you know what happened here in hebrew said do you know what happened here and i tell them from abraham isaac and jacob how they all pointed to christ how it all led to this the prophet spoke about this our bible the torah the 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 old testament speaks about this um and I share that with them. I don't know, I speak for a few minutes. The the young man looks at me and is shocked. He's just standing like this, shocked. And I, I don't think I've ever received such a reaction before. Usually it's kind of defense, you know, that, oh, whatever. Or, okay, okay, you're one of those. The uh, the lady, the tour guide, in the end when I'm done, she said, well, everybody in what they believe in. And they kind of left. But the young man never said a word. He just stayed shocked and left. I turn around and I look for what I see her on the bench. I start getting closer, and Rhoda is crying. And I come to her. I'm thinking something terrible must have happened. And she says, "You won't believe what just happened." And I say, "What?" She says, "We split." I start going down the stairs, and I pass this group of Israelis. They seem like they're not believers. The Israeli secular group, just looking at history. And I hear the young man ask the tour guide. What if all this is true? What if Yeshua, Jesus, really came for us? How do we know it's not true? And I'm thinking, I need to tell him about Jesus. But it might be inappropriate. And I don't want to walk to another young man. It might be perceived inappropriately. So I'm going to sit here on the bench. And she sits down. She says, and I started praying. I said, Lord, I don't want to do this because it might be inappropriate. But please send somebody to that young man to tell him about your son. The moment I finish, you come out of the church, walk in direct line to the young man and start talking, and I start weeping. This is 
the Lord's doing and God is prepping the Jewish people for their Messiah. He's getting them ready. And yeah, these are exciting times. Yes. Yeah. And so with these times, this past uh, uh, week ago, Israel turned 70. And uh, we usually have a ceremony in Israel. It takes place on Har Erzel, which is right in Jerusalem by the old city. It has a lot of history behind it. You can look it up. Um, and every year they do the ceremony. It's uh, pretty, it's very basic. It's just raising of the flag. Um, kind of basic stuff. People watch it. Uh, commemorates for the fallen soldiers. Uh, uh, and the new units come in. And this year, it was exceptional. They did something so big. And I brought some videos with me. And I thought to do that because it captured... Um, the current situation in Israel pretty well from different speakers that were there. Um, so let me show you the opening of the ceremony and then I'll add some more things. This is uh, how it started. Ladies and gentlemen, the Prime Minister of Israel, Mr. Benjamin Netanyahu and Mrs. Sarah Netanyahu, accompanied by the head of IDF Home Force Command, Major General Camilla Dai, and the Prime Minister, Military Secretary, Brigadier General Eliezer Toledani. So usually Netanyahu does not come to these because they're pretty basic, but because it's the 70th year, he showed up, so it made it even a bigger event than usual. And it usually starts with commemoration, raising of the flags, comm commemorating the fallen soldiers. They have the uh, siren go off. And... So I cut out a lot of stuff. You want to watch the full of it, it's incredible. Um, I got a lot of stuff and I'm just skipping directly towards um, interesting parts. And the interesting part here is look at what they're starting with. 12 tribes of Israel and their division. And now they're skipping towards the time when the Israelites came in. I think both you and I know that's not exactly how it happened. I think there were a little bit more swords in there, but... So they skipped from the, as they came in, directly to the Babylon exile. This is an actual prayer they have from the times of Babylon. It was preserved through the Mishneh writings. It's a prayer they do on the 9th of Av. That is a day of mourning for Israelis. 
it commemorates the destruction of the first temple, but many other things. What's interesting is that um, that day, 9th of Av, and if you've heard about it before, it, it is, you know, the first temple was destroyed on 9th of Av. Av is the uh, Jewish uh, calendar. It falls sometime around August. The first temple was destroyed on that day. The second temple was destroyed that day. We can look it up from the Bible. But there are way more, m more things happened on that day in history for the Jewish nation. Uh, it's, you would think one time, two time coincidence, but you go, there's a list of 10 things, uh, examples, such for the ones I remember. The expulsion of Jews from Spain happened on that day. Expulsion from Britain on that day. The final solution by the Secret Service, the SS, in the, uh, Hitler, uh, by the Hitler, signed by the Hitler, on that day for the extermination of Jewish people. Um, and many, many other things. Just look them up. It's beyond coincidence. Uh, and, and I even believe the... When they left Gaza, uh, the separation was also on the 9th of Av. The execution started on the 10th, but the decision on the 9th of Av. It was, uh, yeah, very interesting. And um, did you notice the opening ceremony? So it started the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, usually this, this theme does kind of go as a folklore. Not the folklore, but more of a tradition, a history for the Jewish people. But not much stress in it. Because today we live in Israel. It is one country, and there is no... Division of 12 tribes. We don't have fences, we don't have, I don't say I'm tribe of God or uh, something, right? So, but you read the Bible and it says there'll be 12 tribes when Jesus returns, and you wonder how is it even going to be possible? So, I found it interesting that in this 70th year of Israel celebration, they put a huge stress on the 12 tribes, and it's like telling the Jewish people we are 12 tribes, and what they did is they going to light up 12 torches for Israel, for each tribe. And each tribe represents by a person who geographically matches the location of his tribe. So they pick up a random, not random, but person from that geographical position. Uh, and also, and they let them light up the torch. So it's very interesting. And um, I want to show you this next highlight. And it's about this crisis of identity in Israel. That's something I mentioned before. We came into Israel. Can a Jew be a Christian? What do Jews think about themselves? What, how do they see themselves in relation to the world? Because as an outsider, you can look at the nation of Israel and you can say, okay, I know the place, the, the people there. I know who they are, what they do, how they relate to the end times. No matter what theology you're from, you can, as an outsider, see that. But, you know, how do Israelis see it about themselves? And that's kind of interesting to know because that's going to change how, or at least you'll let you see how things can take place in Israel in those times when they, when they come. And there are usually two perspectives on this. Who are the Jews? What are they doing in the land of Israel nowadays? There's the religious and non-religious. And they're both portrayed pretty well in this ceremony. So let me start with this. I'll show you another highlight of this video. Galut. בלי אדמה, מתחת לרגליים, בלי ארץ, בלי בית. אומרים ישנה ארץ, ארץ שכורת שמש, איה אותה ארץ, איפה אותה שם. This is a song they used to teach us to sing in schools. Thank you. 
so they start from a time when the uh, Jews were kind of spread out throughout the world um, and they're gonna show what happens next Go, they, they go directly towards the first aliyah into the land, the rebuilding, the construction, agriculture. I mean, everybody here knows this, but I don't know if somebody watches it doesn't. Israel used to be a swamp. There was nothing there. Charlie keeps mentioning there's a person who wrote, uh, he went and did a survey of the land before this happened. It was a one giant swamp. Uh, there were a few uh, people living here and there, but uh, it's quite incredible what it is today. So that's what they're showing here. Uh, and it's important you'll see how it's going to all tie, tie towards the speech that I'll show you very soon um, that Speaker of the Knesset did in the Netanyahu. Now we get to 1948. And now this is the uh, second, third generation already in Israel. Now that they did not go through all this tribulation, uh, persecution, they are born here. Again, another song we used to learn in schools. Twelve torches will now be lit to symbolize the twelve tribes of Israel. 
Pay attention to who is going to uh, light one torch. This guy, he is Arif from uh, uh, from the Druze. He's a Druze. He's not a Jew. They let one of the Druze light up one of the torches because they support Israel. They fight in the military. Red torches representing the twelve tribes of the people of Israel. So yeah, it's an exceptional ceremony. It lasts almost three hours. So I just brought a few minutes. The Druze, they are, yeah, it's a good question. The question is, who are the Druze? So, you know, you have Arab people, there's Muslim, Christians, but there's also Druze. Druze is a religion, separate religion. It's a kind of offshoot from Islam. Rodin really knows much more about it. Do you want to say a couple of things? Split from Islam, they have a super secretive religion. Only the elders know about it. I, I think they have a book that is called the Book of Wisdom that they live by. They will not share it with any outsider. You have to be very religious to be exposed to it as well. Um, and they also have their own prophets um, that they follow. Uh, prophet Shaib is called. Yeah. Like, um, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they split from Islam. Yeah. So they don't follow. They don't? No, but they do believe, they believe in Jesus, they believe, oh, they believe they in a lot of prophets. Oh. Yeah, but they're not Christians, no. no. Uh, but they are pro-Israel and they're part of the Israeli military. Oh. I had Drew's friends in the Air Force and yeah, okay. great people. They're, oh, they have the best labane and pita, you know, they bread. <laughs> the best and wow. And olives. Wow. Yeah, olives. Whoa. Oh, olives. Oh. <laughs> I'm hungry now. <laughs> oh no, another three weeks, no olives. Oh. <laughs> it's okay, I've got bacon. <gasps> I didn't say this online. Oh, no. <laughs> oh my. Yeah, don't tell my rabbi. Uh. Okay, um, so, an exceptional ceremony. Uh, almost last three hours. Some Israelis complain the money it took to produce this 22 million shekels. About six million dollars. But I tell you, if you think about it, it's sixty cents per an Israeli, and you know it's streamed nationwide, and it's uh, you pay more for a movie, but yeah. ten times or a hundred times, and, and you know it's streamed worldwide as well, and it's now a prophecy update. So I say it's totally worth it. Yeah. Um, and uh, oh, and you know, in uh, contrast, the Sochi in Sochi there was Olympics. Right, four years ago. You know how much the opening ceremony alone cost? Okay, try to. What do you guess? You got it. Seven hundred and eighty million dollars for the opening alone. You can look it up. It's reported on newspapers. Seven hundred million million dollars, and it's uh, when I calculate it, it, comes up something something around five dollars per Russian soul. And I tell you what, the Russian people can't spare five dollars. They don't, they can't. And I'm gonna speak about that soon, um, some insider information from Russia. Yeah, so, um, two perspectives of Israelis and their identity and how they see the times that are coming. So there are the religious and non-religious. I wanna show you now just one minute video, a speech from Yuli Edelstein, he's speaker of the Knesset. You know, the, like the parliament in Israel. And he is a religious person. He's made the Aliyah from Russia. 
and he shares something that is interesting. So look at the religious perspective. Now, both of these perspectives, religious and religious, they share something in common. And what I'm going to say next, I, I know I might have some Israeli friends be mad at me, but I'm allowed to say this because I'm an Israeli, so we can say things about Israel without, you know, being scolded for it. But yeah. <laughs> um, so let me show this to you. Uh, pay attention. It's just one minute. Israel, Israel. Lifneal <laughs> ביום העצמאות ה-70 למדינת ישראל, בואו נדמיין איך תראה המציאות הזו בעוד שבע שנים, בעוד שבעים שנה, בעוד שבע מאות שנה. אני מאמין באמונה שלמה, שגם אם יתמהמה, עוד נראה על ההר שאנחנו עומדים עליו הערב את המבשר, משמיע שלום, מבשר טוב, משמיע ישועה. יחד נעשה ונצליח. חג עצמאות שמח ישראל. Yeah, so that's interesting, isn't it? So yeah, he's quoting Isaiah, he's quoting Zechariah, and he's... So they believe in a Messiah, right? But what I'm going to say, from first glance it sounds so great, but from another, he quoted Zechariah, and he quoted that the Jews will return, we'll live in those times now. But he, but he stopped there. He didn't continue reading farther. What's farther is terror. What's going to happen to the Jewish people, to, the, to Israel? It's, it's going to be terrible. He didn't read that. I don't know what they think of I don't know what he thinks about that. And the Messiah that he quoted, now we know he already came, but he's quoting saying, on this very mountain that I'm standing, Mount Israel will be a Messiah that will bring the good tidings, good news. They're waiting for their version of Messiah. A Jesus is not their version of Messiah. And this is something, you know, when I, when I shared this with Charlie about this speech, he reminded me of John 5, 43. Look, I just, just want to read this to you. Where Jesus says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. So they're waiting for a false Messiah who's going to come in another's name, Antichrist, and they're going to accept him, they're going to receive him, because he's going to promise them exactly what they want to hear. They're not waiting for the Messiah that... God has sent. And then there is the other perspective, the secular perspective. And this time Netanyahu chose to go on that side. Sometimes he goes the religious perspective, but this time the uh, secular. Listen to this just one minute again. This is what he says. <laughs> ולהעביר אליה את השגרירות של המעצמה החזקה בעולם. תודה לך, הנשיא. תודה לך, אמריקה. כי אנחנו יודעים שלהגן על עצמנו בכוחות עצמנו זוהי תמצית העצמאות. אנחנו, אנחנו חזקים מתמיד. סוד כוחנו תמוד בלכידותנו, בצדקת דרכנו, בלוחמנו 
המכבים המופלאים של ימינו, שאהבת המדינה מפעמת בהם וגורל המערכה נישא על כתפיהם. אם נידרש להגן על עצמנו, נעמוד באתגר ונבטיח את נצח ישראל. We will secure the eternity of Israel. Secure in Hebrew, naftiach, is also promise. It's the same word. So you can also understand it. We promise the eternity of Israel. Our righteous ways. And I'm going to say this as an Israeli, so I'm allowed. We are a prideful nation. It's just over the top. I wish somebody came up on that stage and said, all we have done, all the wars we have won, every victory, it is all because of God. It is because of Him alone, because He allowed us to be there today. And why did He allow us? Because His name is holy, because of His glorious name. Israel was a state only twice in history, and a political independent state. So when they came in, as they showed there, not so peaceful, it was with swords, they fought it and they won it, they came in, God gave them victory. And then today, the times when Jesus was there, Israel did not have its own independent state, it was the Roman, Roman people there. So two times when Israel came in, both times God gives a reason why they're there. And they are in Deuteronomy 9.6, when the first time they came in, he says, No then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God has given you this good land to possess, for you are a stubborn people. Yes, we are. We are a stubborn people. And our righteous ways, Matriano said, not because of your righteous ways the first time. And the second time, maybe the second time of righteous ways, Ezekiel 36.22. This is the prophecy. He says, we're here today. Ezekiel 36.22. This is about today. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. And there's another verse in the Bible. I don't remember which one it is, but it is said about the Jews that, you know, if we're there with the Lord, they're serving God, but if they're against Him, they're the greatest sinners in the world. And I can confess and attest to that. And this is something that's going to be part of my uh, testimony today. It was never because Israel deserved it. Just like it is, we didn't receive salvation and eternal life because we deserved it. God has a plan and He's executing it. And uh, last news from Israel. You might have heard this already. Lisa White heard it. So thank you, Lisa, if you're watching. She sent this to Charlie. And I want to share this with you. This is from Jerusalem Post. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, Prime, Min Prime Minister, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's new deputy social media advisor, Hanania Naftali, is a popular Israeli advocate online, served in the armed corps, fought Hamas in Operation Protective Edge, and calls himself a Jew who loves Jesus. If you don't know Naftali Hanania, you can go to YouTube channel and watch his videos. 
incredible videos. He goes uh, all over Israel. Rod and I show history in our videos. He shows uh, more politics. He speaks uh, some speaks about Jesus, what it was like to serve as a Christian in the military. He's a Jew, an Israeli. His parents did Aliyah, um, I think a bit before me, and he loves the Lord. He loves Jesus, and he is now the first Jew who openly proclaims Christ as Messiah, who is in the office and that's um, that high up in the chain. And what he's going to be doing is going to be advising Netanyahu how to run the Facebook channel, the YouTube channel. He'll be in charge of the social media. Um, yeah, he's uh, Naftali's got a big following on YouTube and Facebook. Yeah, you can check him out if you want to. It's wonderful. A completed Jew. That's what it comes. So, you know, they came to him and they they do give him grief now, saying, "Oh, you know, he's a Christian. He's not a Jew." And he says, "You know," and, and they try to make him stumble. They say, "What do you call yourself? Are you a Messianic Jew?" And he goes, "I don't belong to any sect. I don't belong to. I don't call myself Messianic. I don't call myself anything. All I'm saying is that I read the Old Testament, talk about Messiah. I found him. He's Yeshua, and I believe in him. They do the, do, do that whatever you want. That's what he says." All right, so that's it from Israel for now. <laughs> uh, and we're going towards Russia. So I have friends in Russia. Um, I have family in Russia still. My parents immigrated from USSR. I was born in USSR. I have that, uh, the, uh, I don't have the red passport. We have to give those in, but we, uh, we, I have the birth certificate. It has the, you know, the, what do you call those? Serp and Molot, those hammer thing. And... <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't know what to do with it, but uh, I need to keep it to prove that I was born someday. And yeah, so we have friends in Russia, and I cannot say their names. They, they're very dear people, good people, uh, and, and a lot of Russian people are very, very good, and I'll speak about that soon. When we communicate, we use secure channels, encrypted channels, and there's a reason for that. And I want to talk about that a little bit and give you perspective of the insider perspective of Russia, Putin, and what the Russian people think about him. How is it even possible? If they're Gog, if, how it's going to play out? How, what, the Russian thinking, what are they thinking to themselves? So two years ago, Russia came out with this law. It's called, in Russian, it's called the law against hurting the feelings of believers. It sounded really crazy to me. We read it. It basically prohibited believers to gather together in house churches unless you have an approval from the Orthodox Church. Now, to get the approval, it's going to be impossible unless you're Orthodox. So, without it, will never be executed. It will never be enforced. I didn't believe in a lot of this, maybe some fake news. I took, went to the Russian uh, uh, government website. I pulled it out. I started reading it. Maybe they misread it. When translate to English, maybe they didn't understand Russian. I took it to my parents. My mom taught Russian. My dad speaks perfect Russian. And we read it together. All confirmed. The law pretty much says if you're going to hurt, if you're going to say something or do something that's going to hurt another believer, you can be fined or put to jail up to two years. Now, the interesting part is who are they enforcing it against and who are you hurting? So at first, it was just, just a law, another bill passed through and nobody cared about it. That year, there was maybe one thing, one fine they gave. And then uh, my friends in Russia tell us that Suddenly, it started appearing more and more in newspapers, on TV. They live in a small, you know, some people live in small villages, and even there it's happening. Nowadays, every week, they see somebody in the newspapers who is sent to jail because 
on their profile page, they said something against the Orthodox Church, against Putin or against the left about him. There are cases when you walk into Orthodox Church, you giggle, you laugh, perceived wrong, you can be fined. It, it's unbelievable, right? I, I don't think I've seen it on uh, anywhere else besides inside the uh, Russia and among Russian people. But it's telling me it's pretty crazy. And obviously, with such a regime and such kind of, you can call it oppression, I suppose, or um, control, there is a need to have some kind of technology to allow you some sort of free speech, at least, with your friends, family. And so Pavel Durov, it's a, a smart guy, Russian guy, he comes up with a solution and he invents an app called Telegram. Have you heard of it? So Telegram is an application for sending messages between people if you have two mobile phones. So if you send a message from, a, I'll explain how it works. So if you send a message from me, I use Skype, Google Hangouts, WhatsApp, iMessage, text, doesn't matter what you send. If you send it to another phone, what happens is this. The message is being encrypted on my phone. It is sent to the server. Server is right here in the middle. Let's say this is the uh, owned by, let's say, Apple. Apple server, if you're sending a text message. On this server, the message is decrypted, stored on the Apple server in unencrypted form, and then encrypted again and sent to the end user. So there are three points of the message that can be read by any human eye. The sender, the server, and the recipient. There are three points. Pavel Durov said that's a problem because if that company, Apple or whoever, gives Russia control, they can read the messages because they're unencrypted here. Nobody can get to your phone, nobody can get to that phone, but they can get to the server if it's under Russian rule. So he said, what if we encrypt the message? It has to travel through a media something because you, you can't just connect directly to the phone. What if we encrypt the message, we send it to the server in an encrypted form, it never gets decrypted, and it's sent to the destination. So, and the only people that have the keys to decrypt this message is the sender and the receiver. I don't know if you've seen there, I think somebody invented this uh, with the, um, uh, the Nazis used to use this system when they have the encryption keys, nobody could read them except the sender and the recipient until somebody was able to crack it. But today with this technology, it's impossible to crack the, the, the security they're doing it. As long as they're really saying what they're, what they're saying is true, then it really works like this. It's encrypted, sent, nobody can read it besides these two people. And Russia obviously doesn't like that. They want to read what, what you sent and what you receive. So what can they do about it? So the, Russia did this. This is, this is interesting. They said, all right, so we can't possibly go after millions of users with the app, you know, go phone by phone, confiscate, it's not gonna work out. We can't control who's outside of the country with other phones. What we can do is we can block the actual server or the company where the, where the message goes through. And how do they do that? Each computer server, each computer that the message travels from one person to the server and to the other, it has an address, a virtual address in the internet. Every device on the internet has an address. It's usually a number. But to make it more simple, we'll give it up like we have physical addresses, postal addresses. Let's say the address is 100 Main Street, New York, New York. So Russia says, we're going to block that company that sits and lives on 100 Main Street, New York, New York. Everything that comes out of Russia towards that destination, we're going to stop, throw it away. Everything that comes from, the, uh, from there as a source, we're going to block and not deliver it to our end user, the Russian person. And they can do that because you are connected to your you know, ISP network provider. And if government says, 
you must uh, abide by a law, then the inter-provider must block this communication. So Telegram, Pavel Durov said, okay, no problem. We're gonna move from 100 Main Street, New York, New York to 101. <laughs> All right, Russia says, we'll block that too. Then we says, okay, we'll move to a different street. They block that too. Then they say, we'll move to a different city. They say, we'll block the whole city. All right, this is an article from The Guardian. Uh, never mind about it. I just wanted to pick something that says this. So they say this. Russia's internet watchdog has blocked an estimated 16 million addresses in a massive operation against the banned Telegram messaging app that could set a new pre precedent for Russian online censorship. The battle for Telegram pits one of Russia's most popular messaging apps with more than 13 million users against the internet censor Ruskomnadzor, is this government organization, in a public cat and mouse game to block traffic that has put the agency's reputation on the line. So here's what, what happened. They said, we're going to block you know, the entire, because Telegram moved to Atlanta, they moved through different cities in America and then Europe. And they said, well, we're just going to block the entire country through all those subnets. And what happened is some Russian banks also have servers in those places. And then suddenly, Russia is finding itself in a place where they're crippled. And you know, people can access their bank accounts and it's all over the news and that's where their reputation is on the line. And they do it, they didn't care, they don't care. It's been it's going like this for a while, for weeks or so. And, and then one day, all of a sudden, they let go of the censorship and all of a sudden the Telegram works again. My friend who are in Russia, he tells me, is very, very smart, he tells me, there's something else at play here. A few years ago, Russia also made another law that says, if you want to do business with the Russian people, if you want to have them use your app, you must have your server, not in American soil or European soil, it must physically reside on Russian soil. And everybody who doesn't want to comply is going to be cut off. So what he thinks is this, what if Russia is doing a test? And the test is this, what if they want to answer the question, what will happen to Russia if we block off the internet to the world and to the West? Are we prepared for that? or? What's going to, is, is Russia going to go, you know, is it going to be chaos or are we going to be ready for it? So what if they did this test for a couple of weeks and see, let's see what happens. Is it going to go into confusion? How are the Russian people going to react? How's the world going to react? If you think about it, if, if there's going to be a day, then Russia says, okay, now is the day when we disconnect from the world. They can be ready for it. They can be not ready for it. They could be just preparing for that day. Um, it's a possibility. Yeah, so we can pay attention to what they do next. And this is an organization in Russia, it's called Roskomnadzor. You can look them up on Wikipedia. It's, um, it's like the uh, SS, but for the internet. Um, yeah, and last thing I want to mention about Russia is Gog and Magog. So that's, this is something interesting. A lot of people believe Russia is Gog. Now, if that is true, if Russia's got the Bible doesn't say Gog is Russia, there's no Russia, there's no... but there are hints and there are clues that Gog, there's resemblance in names, uh, a lot of connections have been made, the recent events point to that. But I thought, okay, but half of Russia are Christian. And, you know, when I say that, I know the people can say, well, but not everybody who calls Christian is Christian, but I know Christian believers in Russia read the Bible, love the Lord. How is it going to play out for them? Uh, there's a big percentage of them too. Um, how is it going to play out? How, how are they going to call themselves Gog and go for it. 
And then one day I was sharing Ezekiel 38 with somebody in Russian, and I wanted to pull out that verse, the prophecy about Gog, in Russian Bible. So I take the Russian Bible, I take the synodal uh, translation, which is the translation 99% of Russia uses. It's an old translation. And I send the ver these verses, and I find something very, very interesting. And I want to share that with you. Um, so these are the verses. This is the prophecy. This is Ezekiel 38, verses 14 to 22. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In that day, when my people Israel are living in safety, will you not take notice of it? Will, you will come from your place in the far north, you and many nations with you, all of them riding on horses, a great horde, a mighty army. You will advance against my people Israel like a cloud that covers the land in days to come. Gog, I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. God is proved holy through Gog before all the nations of the world. So keep in mind, keep this in mind. This is what the sovereign Lord says. You are the one I spoke of in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel. At that time, they prophesied for years that I will, would bring you against them. This is what will happen in that day. When Gog attacks the land of Israel, my hot anger will be aroused, declares the sovereign Lord. In my zeal and fire wrath, I declare that at that time there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish in the, in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the beasts of the field, every creature that moves along the ground, and all the people on the face of the earth will tremble at my presence. The mountains will be overturned, the cliffs will crumble, and every wall will fall to the ground. And then he says this, I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains declares the sovereign lord every man's sword will be against his brother like great confusion i will execute judgment on him with plague and bloodshed i will pour down torrents of rain hailstones and burning sulfur on him and on his troops and on and on the many nations with him and i will show my greatness and my holiness and i will make myself known myself known in the sight of many nations then they will know that i am the lord that verse i will summon a sword against gog on my mountains that verse that makes it clear to us that even though Gog is going to make, you know, God is going to make his name known and glorified through what he's going to bring them to do, they're going to get punished for doing that. That verse 21. And then the next chapter also paints it in a clearer picture. But when I read this in Russian, I was, I was amazed. There's something different. Take a look at this verse 21 that makes a distinction in Russian. По всем горам моим привезу меч против него, говорит Господь Бог. Translation. And through all the mountains I will call the sword against him. Him who? Gog or Israel? Him who? If you read the verse before, it says God will glorify his name through Gog. And then it says, and I will call the sword against him. So somebody reading this in Russian language, and that's how I read it, and I'm like, what's happening here? It sounds like Gog will use, uh, sorry, God will use Gog, the people of Gog, as a tool to punish his disobedient people, Israel, and God will be glorified, and the sword will be on Israel, not on Gog. And then I thought, so this is very possible that somebody in Russia could, even the Orthodox people, the church, the believers reading this in Russian language, they're just, that's what they're reading. They're saying, yeah, we're just executing God's plan, his yeah, his stuff. And I'm thinking, was this intentional? Was this put there intentional? And then I was very surprised to find out this. I went to the Hebrew. Let's go to the source. Vekarati alav lekol harei cherev neum Adonai Yehovah. 
Did I say Gog? I didn't say Gog. Hebrew doesn't have Gog either. And then I was like, wait a second, so does that mean that the Russian is correct? Why does almost every English translation has Gog, if not all of them? Where did it come from? Why did they insert that word? The answer lies in, it's very simple. There are two subjects here, Eretz Israel and Gog. Gog is male, Eretz Israel in Hebrew is a feminine word, Eretz, Eretz Yafa, a beautiful country, but it always divides into feminine and masculine words in Hebrew, you cannot just do in between. And Gog is male and Eretz Israel is a female uh, uh, word. So when it says here, and I'll come against him, Gog is the male, him. If it would say, I would come against Israel, it would say her, or it would say Israel. So, and if that doesn't clear, uh, clear the picture, the next chapter is very clear that God is coming against Gog, even in the Hebrew script, even in the Russian. Uh, they could somehow try to get out of it. And Revelation is very clear that God is going to come against Gog. They are not doing his will outside. He's leading them there by the, you know, the hooks, he says, but they're not doing a good thing. But this kind of taught me that the it wasn't an intentional thing, but it's interesting how the lack of that uh, clarity in Hebrew, which requires further study of the Hebrew language to understand how to translate it properly, the American translation, the English, they put in the effort to translate and say, okay, this is going to be confusing. We must insert Gog because that's what the Hebrew says. Otherwise, people will be confused. But the Russian translation didn't do that. There was a more literal translation without paying attention to him, her, the feminine, masculine words. And so the theory is it wouldn't be that difficult to convince the Orthodox Church in Russia that Israel is bad. Israel's probably going to mess up. You saw our righteousness. They're probably going to mess up. The Lord says they will. And they'll say, okay, Putin was elected by, you know, with 70% approval. And the scary part there is that from what I hear from Russian friends is that people actually support him. And you would think it's out of fear, but from what I hear, it's not. Yeah, it's interesting. It's not out of fear. They actually support. They are on the same ideology. And that's the scary part. If 70% of Russian people support him out of the ideology, uh, what they will do is if the government and the church are together, the priest, the Kirill, and the Orthodox Church, and they're together, what could that do? So if they listen to Putin, Putin listens to them, they got the support of most of the country. You got this scripture. Somebody comes and said, oh, it doesn't mention Gog. So let's go to Hebrew. Don't no, forget Hebrew. We got Russian. It's done by the holy people. It's correct. So, yeah, with this all being said, you know, Russian people are wonderful people. Um, some smart, smartest people I know, uh, the friends I have and family, they're so oppressed. They're so oppressed. Um, the corruption is exceeding there beyond our even grasp of understanding. Here's an example. Uh, I have friends who, you know, if you drive on the highways in Russia or streets, you can get pulled over by police without doing anything wrong. And they'll say, you've done something wrong. Give us money. And you start bargaining with them. He says he was driving one day and police stops him. He goes, okay, I've got two cameras here. That's, by the way, have you seen Russian... Uh, like footages from the camera, there's even a movie about it. You know why every Russian has a camera? Why there's so many footages coming out of Russia? Not because crazy things happen just in Russia. That too, but not just because of that. But because Russian people must have a camera in their car. Otherwise, they'll have no proof that they haven't committed anything wrong. That's the reason why they have cameras. That's what I've heard from them. 
So he's driving, you know, he has two cameras, one in the front, one in the back. He's pulled over by the police and he comes to him, takes his time, of course, he comes to him. He says, okay, you went over the yellow line as you were driving. He goes, no, I didn't. I have a footage you can watch. I can show you right now. I have footage. I did not go over your line. He's so tired of this. And they say, yeah, no, no, you did. I have proof, police officer says. He takes out his phone. <laughs> My friend hears a message that comes into his phone at that moment. He pulls out WhatsApp. It's like a text chat app. Pulls it up and he says, there, see, I have your picture. And he looks at it and this looks like a, his car photoshopped behind the oh, yellow line. He looks in the mirror and he's the other police officer's friend sitting there with a laptop and he said, and he tells him, you just did that. But he's offering, no, you want, you can go to jail or you can pay. How much? $300. They don't have that money. They start bargaining. It's, it's like a market. You start bargaining for a lower price. So... So he's bargaining lower price, and and he says, okay, they settled down, I forgot what it was, 50 or $100, and my friends say, we don't have that money. So he says, okay, that's jail it is. He says, hold on, there's an ATM, let's go to ATM. Police officer follows him to the ATM. This is real, they follow him to the ATM. He gets the ATM, and he puts in his card, three times the password it eats the card and it says I'm sorry I know what happened maybe we won't have money anymore <laughs> then he leaves him but this is the life in Russia and even though minority don't like this a lot of Russian people do like this I mean this is yeah it's like um, what if you could commit a felony a crime on the road speed and puts up stops you and you could get out of it just with some money that's that's the ideology when you grow up with that with this it's kind of becomes a normal and when you come in the other country like that's one of the reasons why russian mafia couldn't make it here because the police is not given to corruption in america they couldn't make it here they came here they thought we're going to rule the streets in new york and they didn't work because their police here actually has integrity um so that's that's russia and then technology. Last section, and we're almost done. Daniel 12 technology. I'm gonna start with this article, this one article, which is gonna tie us and lead us into artificial intelligence, the last last subject. This is from Gizmodo, a technology website, all kinds of gadgets. Bill Gates backs plan to surveil the entire planet from space. Well, let's read this. EarthNow is a new company looking to provide satellite imagery and live video in virtually real time. Its unsettling pitch describes a network of satellites that can see any corner of the globe and provide live video with a latency of about one second. And a look at the startup's top investors gives a lot of confidence that this thing is happening. When I read something like this, I usually don't believe it. There's so many technology things come out, or ideas and concepts, prototypes, and it never comes to light. Like the Google Glass, where are they? There's, there's all this hype around it, and it's nowhere because it's not practical. Maybe they didn't even have a technology to support such a little thing. It just let's get investments, and then we'll make somehow invent it or actually do it. But this is different because this is not new. This actually already exists in a slightly lower grade version, and that's what I wanted to show you. Planet.com. Ever been to that website? Okay, so planet.com is a nowadays a large corporation, started as a small startup. They said, 
What if we launch little satellites? Charlie reported about them a few years ago. What if we launch sat little satellites like this size? Like you can hold them in your hands, they're very light. Lots of them into space, low orbiting the Earth and taking a picture of the entire Earth every hour, every spot in the Earth, a picture every hour. It actually doesn't cost much at all because once you launch them, they just keep circulating and they're small. They can launch hundreds of them in one go and they did it. And then another startup came up with the same idea. And these guys, having big investments, bought them out, bought other ones out. And now it became a monopoly. There's one company who does this now. And now come these Earth, Planet, uh, Earth Now guys and this planet.com again thinking of, let's buy them. And I want to show you how it works. I mean, I, it kind of sounds unbelievable uh, technology from the future, but here it is. This is, if you go to planet.com, you can get a free 14-day trial. Any one of you can do that right now. I'm zooming in on Israel. I'm zooming into the north part of Israel. I'm going to go right on the Metula. It's just a map, but uh, satellite imagery. This is where Rhoda and I stayed on our uh, anniversary last year. And we, even in one of our videos we show here, this is the border, the dotted line. On this border, we saw uh, uh, yeah, Hamas or Nasrallah, Nasrallah's, uh, oper yeah, Hamas operatives. Nasrallah's operatives. And they were right there. Hezbollah, there you go. Hezbollah's operatives, they were right there. We saw them with their flag, with their car patrolling. So we thought, surely right here, there's got to be some kind of base or what they have. So I'm zooming in. I mean, this is still nothing you can do this on Google Earth do now. But let's see what we can do here with this planet.com. I highlight this area. And on the left side comes up a panel that tells me, look at everyday image. This is an image taken every day of this location. I can go and watch it year by year. So I kind of zoomed out, I went to 2016 and see how did this area look like 2016. And you can see it was actually much smaller. There were less construction, less buildings. We go to today and there are buildings added. So I say, okay, let's find out at what time was this changed? When did they construct those buildings? And I started going month by month. I realized it's sometime around January to March 2017. Then I said, okay, let's go now uh, and see this zoom in on this bottom part which looks like it was added new building constructed there and go and see it month by month basis find what happened because if you can go day by day you can see maybe there is a car come in you can find the camouflage of the car what color i go march nothing there april buildings so exactly march 2017 beginning of april is when these buildings were built just a year ago I mean, this is just me. I can do this. You can do this right now about your house, see what changes happen in your area. So that's kind of a cool thing and uh, not an uh, evil thing to do, uh, maybe even cool. But you can probably assume how this can be used too in a non-good way. And imagine now they upgraded this to video and that's going to look like this. I was able to get this little footage. Is that the same place? No. This different place, but this is how it would look like a live video footage of any place on Earth. You can literally see the rooftop, the windows, any spot on Earth from a satellite, live footage. There's nowhere you can go to hide, absolutely nowhere. If there are cameras inside the buildings, there are everywhere nowadays, there are a few here. There's now camera from satellite, from space. And consider this, this is done from space, every corner, and it's, and it's owned by one company, it has monopoly they can play kind of an all-seeing eye, all-seeing God that knows everything. So nowadays it's kind of cool, yeah, it's fun, you can go, they give you free access. But if times of Antichrist, you know exactly how it's going to be used. Yeah. And so, 
Charlie sent this article to Lestric and uh, Les, I'm sorry, and he made came up with Lestric. <laughs> so there we go. Um, there will be satellites circling in space, so that all will be subject to trace. God's witnesses too will be in full view. It is urgent we spread the Lord's grace. <laughs> all right. yeah, that was wonderful. Thank you so much, Les, for uh, providing this one. All right, and the last one is AI. Okay, so I've been uh, waiting for this one, and I'm going to reveal the big secrets behind artificial intelligence. Okay, but before I do, i got to say these three things. So, I've built an AI, I brought it with me, and I'll show it to you. And now to the big secret. AI. Are you ready for it? Okay. There is no such thing. <laughs> I'm not joking. AI is a marketing term invented by marketing departments to get investments. The real name is machine learning, ML, or more of a technological term if you look at any research papers, any documentations, it's RNN, recursive neural networks. It is nothing different than a mathematical formula that were invented years ago, maybe a hundred or something like this years ago, and it's just been used because we have to, uh, today strong enough machines or CPUs to process so much data. There's no intelligence behind it. And I brought it with me to show you why, how it works. It's very simple to understand how it works. And once you know how it works, you'll be able to say, okay, now I know how it's gonna be used in the end times. I know how it can be used by Antichrist and how people are gonna be deceived to follow uh, an AI, how it can have a deceitful look. But this is interesting. So. I've got two examples. The first one, and I actually show it to you. You'll see it. And actual everything. It's going to be pretty simple. You don't need to know computers to understand this. AI, one example is this one I, I give is like a man who comes to a train station, and there are 100 platforms and 100 trains on each platform, but none of them have a label. And this man needs to get to New York. An intelligent man, what would he do in this situation? Look on the board, okay? If there's no board, ask, ask somebody. If there's no nobody, get into a train and ask people in train. No people, go get a bus, go get a plane. <laughs> He'll find a way. That's intelligence. He doesn't need to take a wrong train to know it's a wrong train. He knows something. An AI, AI, it's a simple computer algorithm, math. That what it does is, it would take every train to its destination, write down the location, and then once it gets to New York, it writes down, okay, this platform had a train at this time, at this day, that got me to New York, I'll write it down. It still would not know which train to take if you ask it. What it does, it does this operation a billion times. Every, imagine a billion times, because we have power computer, it just does the same thing, take every train, every train, every train, when it gets enough information, data, then it can generate a statistical formula. Like statistics, like today we can say what is the average salary it's going to be in 2020. We can look at history, statistics, just a lot of data that's processed by human intelligent minds. Well, here, it's just processed through a formula, like Excel thing. But it's, it's slightly more complicated, I'll show it to you, but not that complicated to understand. And it will take a billion times and it can tell you, if you ask it, which train takes me to New York, it can give you with 99.999% assurance that at this day, at this time, the train that usually goes to New York is from this platform. That's how it works. 
another, you know, but people ask, yeah, but what about, like, there's the AI, they say, that won the chess player, the best chess player in the world, or a Go game. There was no intelligence there at all. In fact, tell me if this is intelligence. The board game player, the human mind, looks at the board, he considers what would be the best approach to take, and he makes that approach, and he can win, he can lose. The machine, the ML, machine learning or RNN, what it does is it takes every possible, makes every possible mistake over billions, billions of times, very much, and then says, well, I've tried everything that doesn't work, here's what works. That's not intelligence. If you ask me, that's the opposite of intelligence. A smart man doesn't make a billion mistakes to make the right choice. Um, and more than that, that machine can never do anything else. This, this, this machine that learned how to take train cannot tell you now, oh, now I know how to take buses. A human mind is to come and reprogram it. It's a script, another mathematical formula to tell it how to take buses. It's not a intelligence that can teach itself, grow, evolve, nothing of that sort. And, and this math existed for 100 years. So what I'm going to do now is to end this. And I've got a very cool surprise in the end of this when I show the AI. Uh, I'm going to just show you how it works and what I'm going to show you next, the AI that I brought. I'll put this on, on the board and I'll explain very briefly how AI works and the same AI that is used on Google search. When you search something, have you ever asked yourself, how does Google know what I'm searching? It's like it's read my mind. It's very intelligent AI. Actually, nothing shorter of a lie. It's actually not a very smart machine. And I'll show it to you right now. So, let me go to the board. Take this with me. And we will need... I'll keep this here. Right there. So, ooh, we need to wipe this off. And we're almost done. Okay. This is AI of Google search the most sophisticated, most complicated AI in the world. That's how it works. It takes three sentences to explain, very simple. I'm gonna write down three sentences. This is how there's a training a period for to teach AI or machine learning or any like statistical uh, uh, RNN. So I'm gonna write three sentences. So I love Jesus, okay. I'm gonna say I love Rhoda, okay. And then I love, uh, let's go, because this is with J starts with J, so I have to do some kind of food. But I do love beef jerky. So I love jerky. <laughs> yeah, so it was miserable one year without beef jerky. <laughs> We're going to take loads of it with us, like a whole, just a whole luggage of it. Uh, yeah, so how we teach a computer to know how to speak. Like Siri, you ask Siri, it speaks back to you. How does it know how to speak? This is how you teach it to speak. You don't teach it, it's not the process of education. I'll show you how it does. It's just simple following what you give it. So this is how you do it. You put all these characters into the machine. And I've done it and I'll show you how it looks. And it goes one by one and it says, okay, if the letter, first one is I, the next one is space, then this one follows it, this one follows it, this one follows it, and it keeps on just remembering what follows what. That's it. So that's all knowledge it has. Then it does the same with this sentence, the same with this. Then a machine learning can never speak on its own, never say anything unless you program it to do something. So we program the machine or Google search to react to your input. For example, you search for something. Let's say I'm going to search on Google, I love. 
and then Google is going to automatically complete or Siri is going to reply to the sentence. How does it know what to say? Is it a human? Is it intelligent? Does it understand what I'm telling it? No, it's what it does. It looks at my input and it looks at its data that's in the database. And mathematically, through statistical formula, it says, okay, so because we have I love, that's the match change thing. Okay, we have this. We have this, we have three matches. So we have any of those possibilities. So what follows I love? It says, okay, I love, then the next character should be space because this, after I love, there's always space. So it's 100% certain, this is 100% certainty that's gonna be space. Then it says, okay, what's next? Well, we got next characters J, R, or J. Because J has a much higher probability of appearing again and again, so it knows this is 67%, so it's gonna be J, not R, because it's much infrequent. J, next one, J, 100% E, because when there's J, there must be an E afterwards, so it says E, and then what? Well, this, 50-50, it's gonna just do simple guess, which is not even random, there's no randomality computer. It's just gonna say, okay, uh, either one of them, gonna throw the dice, and hopefully it will do Jesus. And it's gonna come up with this. Now, what we do, what they do in Google, or what I've done here, is instead of three sentences with a few characters, they do billions, more than billions, billions and billions and billions of those lines. Then it has a lot of data, a lot of statistics, and it just knows what to write based on what you give it always. It can't just say anything. Even when you, there are some websites, you push a button, it says something, the program had to put in something to start with. It cannot just give out randomly like this. This is your AI. Simple data and result. There's nothing more to it. Yeah, and I've done it, but the surprise here is that I've done it. Instead of those three sentences, I took Charlie's sermons from Genesis 1-1 until Leviticus 23. <laughs> 9.8 million characters. So instead of those few, 9.8 million characters. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, let me go back to, uh, I forgot to get back to the podium here. 9.8 million characters, 200 plus sermons. I've done this in the month of, uh, I don't know, a few months ago. And it took 24 hours for my little pro computer here to go over every character and remember its relation to the next and the one before it. You know, so it needs to remember what's next, what's before it, what's next, what's before it. And then we came up with the results. And here they are, and I'll show that to you. And now you'll see how that looks like. Here are the results. This is all the input data. Like I showed three sentences. Instead of three sentences, I gave it a lot of text from Charlie. 98,000 lines. And if we select it all, it's going to be uh, 9.3, I'm sorry, 9.3 million characters. So we took all the data, put it into the computer, it did its thing for 24 hours, and then we had this script, I built this script. Again, it's not intelligence, it's the intelligence is the one who creates it, uh, builds it, not the computer. And then I type in the command, I need to give the command, I tell, I tell it, give me a 100 characters long sentence that starts with, you always have to give something that starts with, uh, let's go with, I don't remember what I put here, Charlie, okay. Let's see what it tells us about Charlie. Let's say, tell us something about Charlie in Charlie's own language. <laughs> no, 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 that's that's nothing, I'm sorry. There you go. Charlie, this while we'll use action is that the only time in each is an added possibility, there should be not and then that. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense because they're only 9.3 million characters instead of billions. 
once you get more data into it, it can know the probability of the next character with much greater accuracy. Just statistics. The more you have data, the better the statistics. So then you got, I tried again with Sergio. I wonder if something interesting there. Uh, this is just some code here. Sergio before from the priest is also not granting them pictures of sharing this God year. So just keep that in mind. I'm not sharing any pictures from this God year. Okay. And uh, I, I, yeah, I believe just, just for fun, a couple more examples here. Um, yeah, and, and this, this map has been around for, for a long time. Superior Word Church, is there anything interesting there to tell the computer to tell us? Uh, it's uh, Superior Word Church and time for Leah's daughters when Leah fell before. Nonsense. Uh, yeah, I've done this a few months ago. And, uh, and this, oh, by the way, if you ever heard, they've done this, and somebody said, we created a god that is a computer. Yeah, That's what they've done. It's complete nonsense. It's just statistics predicts what the next letter most likely to be. And the last one I've done here is, this is the best one, Jim. Are you ready, Jim? <laughs> they think I'm going to leave you alone. <laughs> Jim Serengeti, it isn't to have by the Protestant churches will suffer for the time ago, and if that is so Aramaic, to want one remedy to any or you can grant them spiritual, and it is so. His second type of cosmic candy table would thus separate... <laughs> I remember saying that. So, Jim, whatever cosmic candy you're on, maybe you want to share it with the church, yeah. <laughs> I did not type this. This is just statistics. Random statistics. Yeah, with a little bit of randomality there. Uh, yeah. Ridiculous. So, okay, it's time to finish this. Charlie usually does irony of the week. I do. I'm, I don't have an irony of the week for you, but I have statistics of the week. This is one of the subjects of statistics. And since I already had all these sermons as in a data table, I wanted to answer this question. What is the most used noun in Charlie's sermons? And we take all these 200 sermons from Genesis 1-1 to Leviticus 23 when I done this. If you just do a counter, count each word and see how many times it repeats. Huh? What is the most used noun? Any guesses? Jesus. Jesus. Very close. God. God is the most used noun. But the interesting part is... At Leviticus 23, when I've done this, he used it exactly 12,500 times. Not 501, exactly. Like, oh, that's interesting. So then I said, okay, let's uh, get 12, top, top 12 nouns. And here we go. Uh, we can end with this. Top 12 nouns from all of Charlie's sermons. This is the script. If anybody wants it, you can send it. The data, the script, we put it in the computer, tell it to run. And this time it's a counter. We just count the nouns. 200 plus sermons by Charlie Garrett, total word count 1.7 million, and the 12 top 12 nouns are, need a drum roll, I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's thinking, it's thinking. Okay, God, 12 and a half thousand times, will, Lord, people, word, one, there, Israel, out, then, time, Jesus. I took out all the is, are, because, you know, but that's what came out. I didn't change it. I didn't twist anything. This is the thing. You can do it yourself. <laughs> I found it like, almost like a prophetic message there. God in the beginning ends with Jesus. In the middle, there's, uh, there's Israel. There's one, one people, one word. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I showed the Charlie. He was, he was like, whoa. Yeah. All right. So, all right, before we finish this, uh, let's see, where is my beard? Are right there? Uh, yeah, uh, before I finish, I wanted to mention this. Uh, 
Doug, you know, he does the always the illustration for Charlie's sermons. And, you know, this week he was he was pretty sick. He wasn't feeling well. And he was sending me like every day an illustration about the topic of the, the sermon, uh, which was, um, you know, it's something he painted before. And I was like, wow, this is beautiful. This will look just great. And then today comes up last day. I don't know how he did it. It wasn't in his best condition. And it made this drawing. It's just incredible. It's so beautiful. It has the sword, which is the word of God, and has the false doctrine there. And it's just so, so cool. So I don't have it with me today, unfortunately, because he sent it just today. But if you can, just go to his wall, take a look at it, and like it. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, I hope Doug already posted it on his wall, because yeah, he was also waiting. He was the only other person that knew that we were here, I think. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's it. Let's finish this. Uh... <laughs> All right, so... <clears throat> so... So... Oh, I don't see... Uh, okay. So, from... <laughs> so, from... <laughs> No, I forgot the bandana. Oh my goodness. All right. Gonna have to cut this out. All right. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not Charlie. Wait. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Also, the shoes. Wait. Okay. We got it now. Okay. So, from Sarasota, Florida to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, I'm not Charlie Garrett. And this is not your regular pro prophecy update of the week. But nonetheless, may you have a wonderful week and God bless you.